0: Hi, this is Zoe Routh, and I'm a leadership expert. I love to work with CEOs and their teams on cutting their people issues by 75%, all while leading a team they love to lead. (laughs) That was a bit of a tongue twister, I have to admit. Today's interview is with an amazing gentleman. His name is Matt Linegar, and he is the chief executive of the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation which is my old stomping ground. I worked there for five years from 20, 2009 to 2014, and it's there that I first met Matt. And I was always impressed with his energy, his enthusiasm, and his commitment to rural regional Australia, in particular agriculture. After I left, he became the CEO there, and we've continued a great connection over these past years. And in this interview, he shares some amazing experiences about and insights from the failures and from the challenges that he's had and his various roles. So he's been in representation roles in agriculture for 20 plus years. Let me share some of his previous roles. Prior to the foundation, he was CEO of the National Farmers Federation. So a very large advocacy group for the broad church of agriculture in Australia. Prior to that, he was the general manager, corporate and customer operations at Murrumbidgee Irrigation Limited, and prior to that, the executive director of Rice Growers Association of Australia. So he is well-versed in all things agriculture, all things rural and regional, and all things representation. And I think his story is quite amazing. So without further ado, let's get on with it. And if you like this show, please do a couple things. Share it with somebody else, write a comment on our Facebook page, or send me an email at zoe.innercompass.com.au or recommend another leader you think would be amazing to hear from. Okay, so those are your options. Share, comment, and recommend. In the meantime, let's get into it. Let's talk to Matt. Matt, it's such a delight to have you on the call. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Welcome.
1: Well, thanks, Sally. I'm looking forward to it as well. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I think whenever I check in with leaders at this stage in the middle of this crazy pandemic, it's always worth saying, how are you? How are you coping with the ups and downs of this thing? <laughs> don't know what else to call it at this stage.
1: Yeah, look, I, I'm doing OK. I think uh, I took a week off just recently and it wasn't enough. I think I need to take two weeks off uh, because really I found what happened after COVID sort of in a funny way as, as probably as leaders do sort of exhilarating and yet exhausting at the same time. So uh, it probably didn't really hit the off switch for three or four months there, I reckon. And as you, you know, and, and, uh, and as others know, it starts to take its toll after a while. So yeah, needed a break is the answer to the question, but uh, interesting times.
0: Yeah. I think it's smart that you took a break and a lot of leaders aren't, they're kind of soldering on and they things are wearing thin. But you're not new to this leadership game. You've been in significant leadership roles for 20, 30 years now, often in a representational role. So leader of an industry association and now leader of an organization that represents rural, regional, remote Australia. Let me ask you this double barrel question. So the first part of the question is, having been through such a diverse set of leadership experiences, how do you define leadership? And the second barrel part of it is when did you know you could
1: actually do it? (laughs) Yeah, good question. I'm not sure I still know if I could do it, but uh, it's happening. So, um, what is leadership? I think at its core, Zoe, it really is about, for me, the first part about all of that is to what extent can you step outside yourself and certainly serve something much bigger than yourself? I think that's for me the. The core of leadership, as you know, there's as many interpretations as there are people. But for me, that's what it's about. It's about um, serving a greater good, something bigger than yourself. And at times, putting yourself, and unfortunately sometimes your family and those close to you, uh, sort of in harm's way or or if you like, in order to do that. So for me, the core of it is about Service outside of yourself, or something for something much bigger than yourself, and also core to the heart of all of that for me is the extent to which you can uh, support others to act around you. And, and I think people have described leadership as a lonely place. I certainly get what they mean, but I think it only becomes lonely if you, if that's your concept about what leadership is. You're the only one who can make a difference. You're the only one who can take things forward. And I just I just don't agree. I don't accept that that is the case. So the extent to which you can support others to act, and of course, get support yourself, is a core foundation of leadership as well. So there's many parts to it. I think there are two key components for me. And the next part to your question was, how should I know when I can do it? Um, so there's two parts to that for me. One is the you know, many people would describe as the accidental leader, how the hell did I get here? And that's a little bit of maybe others recognizing something in you that you didn't recognise yourself and sort of shuffling you towards a place. But I think that's only a bit of an awakening and an early realization because you know of course it's much it's much more than that. And I think to answer your question, I think when I really got it is when I actually learned to to let go. In other words, not not to pile all the pressure on my own shoulders and not to think that I was the answer, the solution, the person who could motivate, the person who could make the decision or, or find the solution. In reality, it's more distributed than that. So, yeah, I think that coming to terms with that meant coming to terms with, yeah, I can do this and I can do it, partly because I'm certainly not on my own and I shouldn't be trying to do it on myself.
0: I love that. I think that's a wonderful insight to have around that. Yeah. It's such a relief when you realize, oh, I don't have to be the only one, the last person standing in this. I can actually distribute, share and uh, get support, which is amazing. You said something at the beginning of how you define leadership and to do it, even though you put in harm's way, I'm not sure if that's the expression you really meant, but maybe you did, the people that you care about. And I think that's an interesting thing, you know, because in high profile leadership positions, and you've had a few then your family comes into the spotlight as well. And that can be sometimes an uncomfortable place. How do you work with that? How do you resolve that?
1: Yeah, I, I think the first thing is, is to be in greater control of yourself, uh, your own behaviours and your own choices because, and I've been there, I've been there a couple of times where you, you can provide that excuse for yourself and say, listen, it's, the, it's a big job. You know, it's the big job that I've got. Uh, there are no excuses. Uh, it goes with the territory and I, I just got to be able to deal with this. But you know, inevitably what happens is you just keep piling it upon yourself until you can't take it anymore. It's sort of like, a, you know, like, a, like an energy equation. <laughs> so, so everyone's got an energy bucket. You can tip some out and you've you got to be able to fill it up as you go. And if that gets out of whack, so you've tipped too much out and you can't fill up enough, well, something's got to give. Either you'll crash personally or something will give in your relationships and people around you. And so I think that's what I meant by by that statement. And what I really mean is you, you've got to stop the excuses and say, well, no, it's not good enough to just accept that that's the way it is, I'm in a big job. You've got to get in control of yourself, your own behaviours, the balancing act that you're constantly trying to achieve there. Uh, between self, between relationships and those close to you, and and between, you know, what you're currently doing in terms of uh, of leadership in either the community or the workplace. So, you can make excuses, but they only go so far.
0: Yeah, I think that's um, I like that as a as a calling to take responsibility for self and the impact that you're having. When you think of leaders that you admire and have learned from. Who comes to mind?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of them, um, to be honest. I think it's interesting because we ask this question all the time in terms of, in terms of you know, trying to understand where, where people's mindsets are at. I can think of some people who are really close, close to me and, and I've worked with closely. I'm assuming you don't need names, but, but it's certainly a, uh, a guy I worked with really closely in a formative use for me, I think as a, as a leader. Who was president of an association when I was in my twenties? Is someone for me? I used to look at him and think, how does he how does he do this? You know, and you know I consider myself a a people person. I'm 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 reasonably people and relationships focused, and I I value that. And this guy had that in spades. But he also had the ability. No matter where he was, he made them feel like. He was squarely focused and listening to them, even though it might be a room of, of 20 people. And to be able to understand what was going on for each of those those people as best he could, read the cues, read the body language and what else was going on. So not just in the words people were saying. So he had an amazing ability and could transcend wherever he was, whether that was politicians and heads of business to, you know, a farmer down the road to whatever. That stuff for me was pretty incredible and as a young leader in the executive world at that stage, the conversations he would have with me, ring me at certain times at night and saying, what the hell are you still doing in that office? This is part of your life, it's not your life, so get out of there. So concern for and support for, for those around him was pretty incredible. So that, that's one example. Then I think of people maybe on the international stage who despite everything being thrown at them, could carry themselves with such poise in, in times of great crisis. And I'm going to have to, if we have to hear the word unprecedented crisis one more time, I think in this scenario we're all going to scream. But I don't know, you look at someone like Jacinda Ardern and the way she's, not just what she's done, the way she's carried herself, the conversation she's having with, with every New Zealander and others on the world stage at, at the same time and taking an approach to this sort of eradication, which, you know, we get it's much it might be easier in New Zealand and other countries, I get it, but she's still done it. And being able to do that, not lose her sense of self and not ever pointing fingers at, at other people and stooping to to some of the behaviors that, you know, I guess we, we looked at elsewhere and, and think this is not what leadership looks like as well. So yeah, there's two examples anyway of, of very, very different people in very different places. Mm. Did
0: you ever subscribe to or um, think was good? (laughs) I'm not sure that's proper grammar like. Yeah. Uh, The idea of strongman leadership, because there's, as you're talking about global leaders, you know, that is, there's at least two versions of leadership that are competing for traction. And I think there's the strongman leadership, and it's generally man. And then there's the facilitative, caring, consultative brand of leadership, of which Jacinda Ahern, I think, exemplifies. So did you ever in your emerging as a leader subscribe or support or was attracted to that strongman version of leadership?
1: Look, it's interesting. I think for for people, at times there can be certain comfort, if you like, if you want to call it that, in that strongman leadership. We're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna be decisive, we're gonna do these things and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but no, it was it was not it was never my my own preferred uh, model a version of of what what leadership looks like. Yeah, you know, we know we know you can be you can be a people-focused, consultative leader and still be decisive. You know, it's not a either-or. I don't think. But the problem I've got with that model of leadership is it it often concentrates. And if we talk about power relationships, it's concentrating all the power in one person, oftentimes. And I I don't think, for me, that's not what leadership uh, is about. Yes. You do need to make decisions. Yes, it can be lonely places at at times, but to think that that's the only way or the only model forward, uh, I think ultimately can be pretty short-lived, I think, as well. So, no, it's not what I'm attracted to. Uh, I can see how it it has worked in in some circumstances, but I I also don't think it's it's the model, if you're thinking about that on the global stage, for what we need in, in the future, particularly when we need to be, it's getting more and more complex and we need to be more adaptive into the future.
0: I like that, yeah. I agree with you. There is a sort of sense of attraction to that clear, like let's do this and this will be okay and rah, rah, rally the troops. And I think there is a very specific context for that. And I think that context is, it's not now exclusively to have that style of leadership. I think we need an element of that. Yes, we can do it. Yes, we'll make it through, but you're right to concentrate it all in one person is extremely dangerous. And not appropriate anyway, given where we sit in this global environment. Coming back to your leadership experiences, you know, leadership is tough because sometimes you make tough calls and sometimes you screw up. (laughs) You don't make the call that was possibly the best. Can you tell us about an experience you had where you did your best and it wasn't quite up to par and it was a bit of a failure of sorts? And how did, what did you learn? What happened and what did you learn?
1: Yeah, I can think of quite a few. well, one example is when I, I transitioned between roles where I'd been, I'd been the, you know, executive director of uh, an industry association and I went into a larger commercial organisation where I had a team of uh, a little over 100 people, you know, that, that I was working with and, and really they were two almost distinct groups of people, the sort of if you like those in the office, <laughs> those in the field, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I think I didn't make the transition as well as I could have. I certainly didn't do enough and didn't do well in terms of making that team feel like, you know, one team of people. And in fact, the road I went down probably uh, drove, in the short term, some deeper divisions between those two groups of people because I hadn't, I hadn't recognised what I, what I needed to recognise. I'd been trying to get myself up and running and on the fly and of course I became, you know, I, I became the antithesis of what of what I would say the sort of leader that I am. And I, I took my eye off off the people side of things. And I bury myself in the strategy and, and the tech and the knowledge, which I you know I, I needed to do, but neglecting the people was a huge mistake. And of course, that drove divisions and, and it took me a long time, or took you know, a lot longer than it should have to get that piece right and to to regain trust and all the things that needed to follow. So, yeah, there's one example, but i I've certainly have, um, you know, I, I learned a lot from that experience and I'm pretty sure I haven't taken my off of the, the people stuff in any sort of way like that since that, since that occasion.
0: I think that's a really interesting example. So, you know, you went from an environment which was fairly people oriented and certainly the way that you described it was very people based and then the larger yeah. context, what do you think tipped you over into focusing on strategy and, and tech? Was it because that was unfamiliar to you or because it was a different, like a bigger organisation? Like what what drove you down that path? Yeah, I
1: think, I think it was bigger. Like the, the tech I, and, and the operations I was less familiar with. The strategy, I could live in strategy all day, all day if you let me. So um, I wasn't unfamiliar with that at all. But but it, it's getting your head around, around what that strategy should be. And it's interesting because... It's like saying to your kid you know what contribution do you do you want to you know they see poverty and what contribution do you want to make to to poverty and well i want to help starving kids in africa but you're not prepared to help the person down the street and i felt a little bit like that because you know i'd done all this work i completely overhauled all our communications with our you know customers and stakeholders and all that was rip roaring along with the strategy was looking great and my team was falling apart you know so i just i just really took my eye off the ball i thought we could hold that for a while till I got this other piece right. Then, then I'd work on make sure the people in the relationships follow. But, of course, it doesn't work like that. It should never work like that. Your people in relationships are where you start, and the rest follows. And it was, I learned the hard way, but I learned. I think
0: that's a really interesting observation. You know, you start with people in relationships, and the rest follows. And there's so many leaders who haven't realized that and go about it, ass about front, I guess. And that's really fabulous way. So you've been CEO of the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation for how many years now? Five or six?
1: I think as of ne- as of about today or maybe <laughs> yesterday, six years.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. That went by really quickly. <laughs> I know. Um, so you'd had a couple of leadership roles under your belt and then you came into the foundation. Like as a, a CEO going into a new place, what do you do? Like how do you get the relationships and the culture going Uh, like where do you start as a new leader into a new organization
1: yeah i I think it's um it's about getting to know the people in the organization we tend to look at people through the a framework of the person who turns up to work and i try and do the best i can to to understand the whole person as much as i i can and i I get that's much easier in smaller teams than larger ones. Uh, But even in a larger team, you typically got, you know, X amount of direct reports. And so that also works, I think, in that context. So getting as much as you can to know the whole people because understanding their values, their aspirations and everything else will hold you in much better stead in terms of how that team works together, how you work together towards the goals and objectives of the organisation that you're working with. I think the other key plank is about Levels of trust between people in that organization. And unsurprisingly, Zoe, given my experience and yours, I tend to spend large amounts of and, and quality time in the team, that group of people getting away from their normal environment and their workplace at least a couple of times a year and some and some quality amount of time to work through difficulty together outside the normal environment to invest in to be able to have the the conversations that often prove prove difficult for people in in day to day in the day to day and building those levels of trust because we talk about trust all the time but you can't just snap your fingers and hope it's going to emerge. It really is about spending the time and not just the time, but often people arrive that they want to trust each other, they want to go down that path, but they don't have the skills or tools to do it. So investing in that as well is really important. I think the other thing I find really important is people always have value statements. You know, you've seen many, <laughs> many of them, Zoe, you know, so, you know, trust, honesty, courage, blah, blah, blah. I mean, for me, they're all sort of weasel words and the way for me to, to make them meaningful is to say, well, what do we value? And then what we really focus on is, okay, what are the behaviours that would exemplify those values look like? What I try and do is on, on a regular basis, we get the team together and we're not talking about the work in front of us or strategy or anything else. We're just talking about how are we going? What do our behaviours look like? You know, we said we wanted our behaviours to reflect our values. They should look like this. Do they? Why don't they? And are we up for the honest conversation as to why and, and, and why not? So the, they're the sorts of things that grease the wheels of trust, uh, I think, in, in a group or, or organisation. And they're the sorts of things that that, that I like to do to to be able to build that.
0: So you're one of the few leaders I've met who actually does that. So it's one thing to do your values and then your culture charter with the behaviors and then to sit and then say, "Okay, how are we doing? Is that a weird conversation to facilitate or does it become, well, I guess, tell me about the first time you had that conversation. So you've done the values work and then the behavior piece. And then sometime later, you're sitting down and say, "Okay, how are we gone? Is it a bit of sort of stonewalled silence and people sort of looking sideways at each other going, how do we even start this conversation? Or
1: yeah, it, 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 like? it, probably, it certainly is a bit awkward at the start. And, and it's like muscle memory. We're not, we're not tuned to it. We don't, we don't do it very often. Uh, and then there are different ways of doing it to give more comfort. The other thing is you'll know really well is people are all different. The way they approach things is all different. So some people are going to be sitting in that larger group going, I'm not going to bloody say anything because I'm just not comfortable. And so we might do some walk and talks and some one-on-ones so people can ease into that conversation,
0: you know, a little easier
1: than sitting around with 20 people trying, trying to have the conversation. So the way in which you go about doing that becomes, becomes as important as the conversation. itself. So, so, yeah, it can be awkward, but there are ways in, in which you can make that, that easier and it becomes, it's never easy, but it becomes a little more second nature as you've done it four, five, six times and beyond. I
0: love it. I like that stepped approach, you know, it's like, let's make smaller, safer conversations before we have the big 20 person group, you know, brouhaha. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sort of unleash the beast. It's interesting to note that in, in two of the organizations that I worked with initially, uh, Summer Camp in Canada and then at Outward Bound, each of those organizations at some point had a major convening of the troops where it was kind of like air your dirty laundry session. And I think it was at Outward Bound. Or we might have been at summer camp. I can't remember exactly. The expression was sorting the oats, which means it's like, okay, we're going to smoke the peace pipe and get everything on the table. And yeah, it's really confronting and not everybody's up for that. And I think to do it stone cold without any warm up, as you've done in terms of the smaller stepped approach, can be a bit of a disaster. And it's interesting that every organization that I've been part of and witnessed to, there's been a sort of cycle with that too, like sort of an escalation of tensions and then a cathartic release through conversations like that. So it's good if you stay on top of it and do it regularly. You don't get that big sort of massive uh, crisis build and then crash after.
1: You're spot on, and that that is the difference. And I was thinking about my failures before, and, you know, one of them obviously in the in a really high-pressure role you know like when i was a ceo of the national farmers federation i keep looking back at that element of it and i certainly did try and put in place exactly the things i'm talking to you about now what the fail there for me was the amount of work the pressure the the stakes were high all of that sort of stuff we did it we, we got a people off site we did all that sort of stuff we managed to avoid the massive blow-ups between the team that wasn't that wasn't the issue but in the end i you know, I, I couldn't stop people from drowning in just the work in front of them. I think I must've tried about four or five different ways to alleviate that, to, so people could have normalish hours and lives. And I often explain, you know, I explain to people like this, it's a sort of role which I, I cherished and, and I really enjoyed the role in many ways. And one of the things I'd said though was, in that role, I could find time to relax but I could never, ever switch off. And if you can't hit the off switch for anyone in that role, you've got a limited shelf life. And, um, you know, for me, that was three and a half years. That That was a limit of my shelf life because I couldn't hit the off button. And I also couldn't find a way to, not that people didn't enjoy the workplace, they did, but I just couldn't stop people from drowning in that same way. And I must have tried five different ways. So, so not always going to succeed, but I think you know, maybe if I, if I had my time again even from, from six looking back six years ago now, I, I would do things a bit differently. But I think it's really important too. People say, how are we going to find the time to do that? I challenge people and say, how, how the hell are you going to find time not to? Because all you'll do is just churn through more and more people. But you've got an opportunity here um, to have a better quality of life while you're at work, if you do that, you might still have turnover, but you'll find, well, i found that that culture based on values will persist. And it's a different place to be.
0: Well, that's a tough lesson. I'm also curious about, you know, you've had some pretty intense experiences. Is there one or more times where you've had this transformative experience where your view of yourself or the world has shifted as a result of that experience? I'm curious to see what that was like, what happened.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I absolutely have. So the first of those for me was about that same age I was talking about before, sort of late 20s or 30. And unsurprisingly for you, it was, was being part of the ARLP, the Australian Relationship Leadership Program. You know, I went into that as a 29 or 30-year-old. Um, I was not overly... Cocky or anything, but I was pretty confident in myself, and um, and I thought I knew myself fairly well. And uh, by that day four, I, I discovered that I didn't know myself all that well. Um, yeah, and so that was a that was a, a huge and pivotal moment.
0: It still uh, looks so uncomfortable not, the way yeah. that you're talking about it. <laughs> you're like yeah, squirming yeah. a little bit. Like, oh, it's so painful. Yeah,
1: I, I just. Oh, it's okay, you have got to recognize those things. So so I recognized that I, you know, the things that had come to me and what had worked for me had come reason reasonably naturally, and I hadn't any depth of thought about it at all and what was driving it, or even what my behaviors looked like. And so while they worked in certain things for a certain amount of time, you know, the, the huge recognition was I could actually choose to change to change those behaviours and behave differently, and that might be what is needed um, in shifting context. Where you find yourself going between work, home, community and, and different roles and, and so you, you need to be able to do that. I kept thinking about what my next role would be and how you how you set yourself up well uh, and put yourself best foot forward for that next role. Well, after that program, I stopped thinking about roles as my first protocol, full stop. And it was being challenged on, on that program uh, to really think about What sort of impact I wanted to have and on what stage? It's framed everything I've done since then, Zoe. So the role followed, only followed after that. So way back then I said, well, I want to have an impact on behalf of farmers and farming communities on the national stage. Well, it took another 10 years for that to happen, but I I knew where I was, you know, where I wanted to head. Those two things about my own behaviours, trying, testing, failing, experimenting, With different ways of going about things and the different behaviors are required in different contexts and understanding where I wanted to have impact on, on what stage were fairly transformative. The other transformative experience for me is, you know, typical blokes learning the hard way. I think Zoe was um, thinking that I could carry whatever weight on my shoulders and just keep going. And um, really that cut a long story short on that one. That was just one year where the body just gave out it just yeah it just i mean i got you know i'm fit and healthy and running four days a week and doing all this sort of stuff and uh i think i got to about september october of that particular year and i got pneumonia <laughs> i was trying to run with pneumonia and wondered why i couldn't breathe and uh my, my wife said to me you are crazy you need to take you need to take two or three weeks off and you need to you just need to Regenerate, recuperate, and you know I ignored all of that and just kept going. And uh, yeah, I got through the Christmas, went to my in-laws' place, walked in the door, had something to eat, and went to bed, and went to bed for two days. Yeah, the body just gave out on me. So that was learning the hard way. <laughs> that was learning the hard way. Well,
0: you're so lucky. Was it. It. You're lucky that was it. Like just two days in yeah. bed. Wow. Yeah, I,
1: I know. So um, it was more. Tra- that, so that was more transformative in you idiot, you know, you you can't. There's no way you can just keep going if all those things are personal, private, professional and whatever are piling up on you. Uh, so, so don't be an idiot and care of self is pretty central to the leadership.
0: I love it. So what is now for you your top three priorities?
1: Yeah, uh, so my top three priorities are, myself and and my family and you know i think in in various stages of my life i've i've had definitely had priorities out of whack (laughs) but uh but certainly for now to be able to not just care for self but to challenge self and to have those sort of ominous conversations with yourself are are pretty important to understand where i'm at in the context of, of the family and where they're all at and to do the best i can to support them to be the best they can be is really important and my other priority is is around what I talked to you about before and that that is understanding outside of those two things where I want to serve where I want to have impact and to be sure that I'm in the right place to be to be having that impact is that priority and you know happily for me although I've been here six years this is still the right place to have that impact for me that may change in the future and and that's okay. But for now, this is this is the right place to be. And I think even more importantly, Zoe, at a time like this, all right, what is the impact that you're having in the context of the organisational impact? And therefore, can that be more, better or different? Because at the global context has changed. And the answer for me to that question is, yeah, it can be more, better and different. And so right now, from the organisational strategy to the sorts of things that we're doing, it builds on the core of of what we've done as a foundation for many years, and we're doing some other things. I think that is responsive to the context that we're in, so and it still sits neatly with the impact that I want to have.
0: Mm, that's very sustaining, isn't it, to have that purpose for rural, remote, and reach. I can't even say rural properly. I have to really <laughs> slow down. But well, you're going to run
1: the three hours together. It's even worse.
0: <laughs> it's really hard with a Canadian accent to say rural. <laughs> <laughs> I have to really slow it down. Um, do you have a favourite leadership book or resource that you go to?
1: Oh, wow. I don't know if I do have a favourite, Zoe. There's, there's so many. I, I don't know. I don't know what you find. It's, it's like a lolly shop for me. I just keep, I keep seeing, you know, other ones and, and, and finding, always finding something interesting. You might find more or less in some, in some resources or books than others, but I often find something in them. So oh, probably, there probably isn't one go-to for me,
0: no. And last question for you. What's the best piece of advice you ever got?
1: The best piece of advice I ever got. Interesting one. It was probably, people always say, be yourself. Not only be yourself, show yourself.
0: Wow. Be yourself, show yourself. Yeah, that's really cool. What has that meant for you? How do you translate that?
1: You know, when you working with people and they have a work face and a private face or a play face. In other words, they, they are a different person at work to what they are socially and I'm not that. So sort of be yourself and show yourself no matter what. Maybe the point of being inappropriate sometimes, but yeah, I I try and, you know, I've, I've tried to do that, you know, all the way along. And, you know, I have many friendships that have been born in workplaces. I, Oftentimes you're spending more time with the people at work than you are the people at home. So if you're showing yourself you've got a good chance to build meaningful relationships, and I, I have been able to do that and I'm really fortunate to be able to have done that. So yeah, I think that's what it, what it means to me, and it also means don't, don't hide behind that other face. So a comment or a remark that you wouldn't accept in your own friendship circles or in social settings and why are you accepting it in the workplace or vice versa? So I think that's another way of trying to live by what, you know, that bit of advice that I got.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Now, it's just such a pleasure talking with you. I love hearing your insights and your expertise and the real passion that you have for your purpose and the contribution that you want to make. It's very outward focused, and I find that incredibly refreshing and energizing. So thank you so much for sharing your story.
1: Thanks, Zoe. it's As always, it's just a pleasure spending time with you.
0: One of the things I loved about this interview, and I've reflected on it a lot, is the distinction between roles and impact. And I think Matt does a wonderful job of explaining that. And when we let go of ego, as in focused on what role do we want, what accolade do we want, and focus on who we want to serve and the difference we want to make, we avoid a lot of the traps that we find in people stuff. So we put down hubris, arrogance, and we pick up humility, care, and curiosity which is the key attributes of the elder archetype. So I think this is a fabulous interview, an example of how someone does that in real time. My other thing that I totally love, because of course my stuff is people stuff, is when he says, when you focus on people and relationships, all else follows. Good on you, Matt. It was wonderful having him on the show. And if you've got another leader you'd love to hear from, do let us know. You can email me at zoe at intercompass.com.au. And if you want to share Matt's story with the world, please share the podcast. It would be really wonderful to get his perspective on leadership out there in the world. Okay, in the meantime, live well, lead well.